The Lord's faithful. He's good. His mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. I'm going to begin a new series this morning. It's going to go for a while. It's called Our Signs. It'll make itself evident to you pretty early on. So this is part one. And our text we're going to jump off from is Psalm 74, verse 9. The psalmist cries out painfully and laments. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet. There's no one among us who knows how long. How long will this last? How long will we, how long will we be without our signs? Israel cries out to God. Because Psalm 74 cries out in agony over Israel's loss of its signs, which were the indication of God's favor being with them. And the absence of their signs was evidence that Israel was adrift with God in compromise and in sin. They were losing his favor and they were losing their unique identity among the nations as being the people of God. But hundreds of years later, the promised Messiah came. And upon his resurrection, when Jesus rose from the dead, the New Testament church entered the world with supernatural signs, signs of God's presence, not just accompanying them, but signs that were resident in those believers. The world had never seen anything like it. It was truly as the scripture says, behold, I do a new thing. In fact, Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 2.9 and he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people for God's own possession so that you may show forth. Everyone say show forth. And just think for a moment of what that means. You're a peculiar people for God's own possession so that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you can project, so that you can show forth, you can demonstrate, you can manifest the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness. And so the church of Christ was referred to in the book of Acts as the church of Acts for a reason. It's because the members of that early New Testament church, the church of Acts, the members came with signs that indicated that their origin was from heaven and not from earth. Though these were men and women that were certainly born in the world, on the day of Pentecost, the church arrived. And it came from heaven. It fell from heaven. Jesus sent it as the baptism, as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so those signs immediately begin to manifest in the disciples. And they told the world who we are. And they told the world who we belong to. And they remind us the signs that you're going to learn about remind us of who we are. They remind us of where we come from. They remind us 
of who we belong to. Now, unlike the Old Testament signs, which came among God's people when they would obey Him and walk before Him in obedience, those signs, we read about them like these great tremendous signs and wonders like the parting of the Red Sea and uh, the miracles and the deliverances and so forth. Uh, those signs were evidence of uh, God's presence among His people. But when the New Testament church arrived, those signs seemed to be emanating out from the members. They were coming out of those men and women who were filled with the presence of God. Can you say amen? amen. There is no scriptural evidence, no scripture that supports the idea that God ever intended to change the heaven-born, spirit-connected nature of the New Testament church into an earthly institution. Though we have become an earthly institution, it was never God's plan. As I said before, the heaven-born, spirit-connected nature of the church is what it was supposed to remain and what it needs to become today. So therefore, until the return of Jesus Christ, he has no intention of changing the composition of the church. He has no intention of changing its hierarchy, changing what makes it what it is and the signs that accompanying it and show the world as indicators, as manifestations, this is God's body. This is the Lord, church of the Lord Jesus Christ and it came from heaven. Therefore, until Jesus returns... These signs that you're going to learn about, well, I'm going to share the first two this morning, should be expected to flow from the midst of us. What you're going to learn about isn't a history lesson. It is learning about what ought to be happening in your life and my life and what ought to be flowing from us. They are the signs. We as New Testament people should never have to pray Psalm 74 verse 9. Where are our signs? There's no prophet that knows what's going on. And nobody knows how long this is going to go on. Israel was stumbling in darkness. Without the, without the presence, the manifest presence of God, they lost their identity with God. And as I said before, their unique position in the world. Notice that in that scripture in Peter that I quoted, right towards the end it says, We are a people for his own possession that you may show forth the excellencies of him. So showing forth the signs of the church is a result of being God-possessed. You are a peculiar people for God's own possession. That's what's peculiar about us. We shouldn't be peculiar because of our various denominations. We shouldn't be peculiar because of the songs we sing or the manner in which we dress or the way we conduct our services. What is peculiar about God's people, the thing that is, is supposed to be peculiar about the church that identifies it as the church of Jesus Christ is that it's evident that something heavenly is going on. There are things of heaven that are here and that are operating in, through, and out of our lives. Can you say praise the Lord? So being God-possessed is what causes us to show forth 
the praises or the excellencies, the attributes of our Heavenly Father. So if today, if we don't see the signs that you're going to learn about in the coming weeks, we ought to be crying out to God in prayer. I mean leaning heavy and hard into prayer and crying out to the Lord for reconnection because it is literally being His possession that causes us the ability to show forth. If we're not showing forth the signs, then the problem is a lack of possession. We're not possessed with God. We're possessed with other things. We need to be possessed with the Lord Jesus Christ. For if we are His possession, we will show forth the signs. And so if we don't see those signs, we need to cry out to God and pray for reconnection until our signs manifest once again. All right, the first sign is the sign of the filling of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament church was filled as the first sign, the first sign that it was God's church was the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 when it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Jesus had given instruction to the disciples. After three and a half years of following him and being hand-fed, if you will, by the great master, taught, and then given the commission to go into the world, already the, the, the Lord had used them in miraculous and wonderful ways. And when Jesus said at the Last Supper, I'm going to leave, but it's only temporary, and I'll be back. And when I come back, you will have power to be witnesses for me and you're going to go into all the world. So at the Last Supper, Jesus tells his disciples and after his resurrection, visits them and reiterates to them, don't go until you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't go until you have received the power from on high. So the first sign of the New Testament church is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the filling with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the resulting manifestations, is the birth sign of the New Testament church. It signified the arrival of the healthy living offspring of Father God. It let the world know because it let the world see and hear and witness Jesus is still among these people because the things he was doing before we crucified him seemed to be continuing. They're going on. Now we don't just have Jesus to deal with. We got all kinds of little Jesuses running around, if you'll permit me to use that analogy. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit is the birth sign that this this arrival from heaven was healthy and alive. Praise the Lord. So let me tell you this morning, it was not sold out Christians or zealous believers that created the church. The church was not created by Peter or John or disciples that were on fire and eager to get out there and obey God. The church was created by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Never 
let that drift from your mind. Always understand that the church began as the explosive birth from heaven of the Spirit manifesting, filling 120, not just the remaining 11 disciples, but 120 who gathered. And if there had been 120,000 in the upper room, the Bible says they all were filled. All, every single one. They had children up there. I hope you know that. There were kids up there. There were teenagers up there. There were wives up there. There were boys and girls up there, old men, young women. And the Bible says they were all filled. The birth sign that the church arrived. So the church was not organized by Peter, not organized by John, not led into existence by people who had studied at the feet of Jesus. Nobody's education, nobody's experience with Jesus birthed the church. It was the baptism in the Holy Ghost that brought forth the church. And the sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Spirit is a sign of continuous filling, not a one-time experience. That's a problem years ago with Pentecostal people is um, they would tell you, oh yes, I, I got saved and I got the Holy Ghost back in 1968. And they'll talk about their experience and they'll all get out their testimonies and talk about they got it back in 75 and 52 and whatever. But the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a continuous outpouring. It is a continual filling. In fact, two chapters later from chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost first fell on the believers in the book of Acts is chapter 4 where there they are again gathered. I think probably again in the upper room. But after that they were gathered wherever they happened to be gathered at one point later on in the book of Acts, sometime down the road, um, there was the centurion, Cornelius, at his house. He and his family were gathered, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to speak in other tongues, and the Word of God began to come forth through them as they gathered. And so here in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, listen, it says, And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled again with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now Ephesians 3, 18, 19 says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. You know he's not talking about, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Oh yes, I've received it. Okay, well then you don't need to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and spiritual songs. But to get the idea, this is a continuous filling. For he says, speak among yourselves in psalms and spiritual songs so that you're continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look, when a couple falls in love and, and marries, they don't just experience one romantic encounter and say, well, that was great. We've done that. That's behind us now, and spend the rest of their lives talking about how wonderful that was, how great it was. How many of you know that's not how a marriage works? And that's not how Jesus and the bride of Christ relate. The baptism and the Holy Spirit is every time we get together. It's a continuous flow. It is the 
romance, if you will, if I can use a, a natural analogy in, in a spiritual context. The continuous filling of the Spirit. Because it is the baptism in the Holy Spirit that gave birth to us. It is the baptism in the Spirit that connects us vitally with the head, making us not just the bride, but the body of Christ. So why would we not want the manifestation of the continual filling of the Holy Spirit in our life? You know, as I said, although it's a kind of a silly analogy, a couple gets married, they don't have that one romantic encounter and then go, all right, check that off. But I would add to that, where do you think families come from? They come from a continuous filling. It's an ongoing filling that produces children. Am I, am I on the money still? All right. Good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You got to share, you got to preach things that people relate to. So look, the church was never intended to be a one night stand followed by a lifetime of talking about it. And unfortunately, theology has moved in, and there's nothing wrong with theology. We need to understand the faith, what we believe. We need to be able to sort out truth from error, and we need to be able to nail down what we believe solidly in the Scripture. But theology was never meant as a replacement or a substitute for the baptism in the Spirit and the manifestation of the supernatural um, uh, uh, showing forth of, of God's power that resulted from that baptism. And so it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of continuous filling. Praise the Lord. So it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And listen, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And what they were really talking about was the fact that it was specifically the filling of the Holy Spirit that launched this, this supernatural uh, ministry of prophetic preaching. And I'm going to use the term prophetic preaching because it brings, it brings into preaching the element of that message being preached as coming directly from heaven. It's not that every syllable and every word and every choice of a, of a phrase is, is being directed by God. He's got like a joystick and, uh, and jammed into the preacher's heart and he's making him talk like a puppet. That's not what prophetic preaching is. But what is being said is coming directly as a flow from the Holy Spirit. That's prophetic preaching. Now that's very different than people getting up and talking about their experience with God, or sharing facts that they've learned about the Scriptures by going to seminary or Bible school or in their devotional time or in their Bible studies. It's wonderful to share the Word of God. And we ought to be speaking to one another and sharing the Scriptures. But the church, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself because one of the signs is prophetic preaching, is, is the preacher. But that was new. That was different. There was never anything like that except when the old-time prophets, when the Spirit of God would come on them, what would happen? They would prophesy. So in the New Testament, Peter gets up immediately within minutes of being filled with the Spirit, and he stands up and he gives this speech, this preaching out on the balcony, and 3,000 people who only moments before were criticizing and making fun of 
these people up in the upper room, all the racket they were making, saying it's 9 o'clock in the morning. These people are drinking. What's the matter with them? There must be a bunch of Galileans up there. So they're, they're just minutes before criticizing, and the next thing you know, they're there with tears streaming down, raising their hands, saying, I want to receive Jesus. 3,000 get saved. So it says in that scripture I gave you in Acts chapter 4, it says they were filled again with the Holy Ghost and spoke the word of God with boldness. See, that's something each and every one of you are supposed to be experiencing. The baptism in the Holy Spirit should be provoking that supernatural preaching, sharing of the gospel of Christ with others. Prophetic preaching was one of the signs of the Holy Spirit's baptism. And another one was when the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place, it brought in a status among human beings that had never existed. And that is humans were now vessels that God dwelt in. So it, it initiated the age of the church, or the age, if I could say this, of the vessel and the indwelling God. Now you need to get this, because church is not a place where people who believe Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead gather and go over their notes together or share their faith. While there's nothing wrong with sharing our faith and reinforcing our notes, that's not what church is about. Church is about a functioning body called the Church of Acts. It's called the Church of Acts because they did the acts of God. Beginning in that second chapter, that you could see God acting through the people, not just the apostles, but the believers everywhere they went. Praise the Lord. So again, the sign of the filling of the Holy Spirit is a continuous sign, and it's also a sign that is evidenced by prophetic preaching and the, and the baptism turned you into a vessel. And what good is a vessel if it's not filled? I know that some of you ladies like to collect certain vessels. And, you know, if you have somebody over and maybe your kids come home to visit or whatever, and they reach in the china hutch or whatever and go to grab, no, 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 we don't drink out of that. You don't? It looks like you would drink out of it. No, no, no. That's for show. See, if we didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we would not simply be vessels in a china cabinet. Right. And God would say, no, 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 you can't use them. Why not? Because they're empty. They're empty. There's, you're not going to get anything. There's no satisfaction. Nothing is going to take care of your thirst. You need to grab a Christian that's a vessel that's full. Not one that's just for display, for show. So you get, you get the idea. Also, I want you to know that as the church began to, to move out into the world, they immediately found persecution, just as our Lord was persecuted. Resistance. And Jesus' response to their prayers, as they cried out to the Lord in, in Acts chapter 4, Lord, look at their threatening. They cried out, they said, Lord, they've, they've beat Peter and John, and uh, they eventually um, killed Stephen and started martyring and arresting Christians. They cried out to God. They said, Lord Jesus, 
We, we pray and seek your face concerning this persecution. You know what God, you know what the Lord's answer was? More of the Holy Spirit. It says when they were done praying, the house shook and they filled, God filled them with the Holy Ghost again. There was their answer. The Lord didn't give them a strategy. He didn't say poor things. Just hang in there. Jesus didn't say now, it, you know, what you need to do is you need to smooth things over with, uh, with these, you know, with the religious leaders that you're in opposition with. He didn't do anything. He said, Holy Ghost has got control. We're just going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You'll be good. You'll be fine. Just, just get full of the Holy Ghost. Let the Holy Spirit move. Hallelujah. It gets a little messy sometimes, but God's in the house. See, that's what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. It says to the world, God's in this house. It says to the world, this church is from heaven. And, and you know what? God's not worried that people make fun of it. He really could care less. I mean, he's got a lot of experience, Jesus does, with being criticized, by being, uh, uh, with being talked about. Do you ever notice how Jesus never let any of the criticisms when they were talking about him and things like that, they never turned him. He didn't hold up or slow down with any of the things. But uh, we got to back up, praise the Lord. This is one thing they didn't have in the book of Acts. Praise God. All right. So, um, you know, when, when, uh, when they were being persecuted, Jesus' answer was they need the, they need the Holy Ghost. They need the, the Spirit of God overflowing them. So God himself put the, the church under the sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the, is the facility of our communion with God, our power from God, and our provision from God. That's where our fellowship with God comes from, is through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. All right. The second sign I'm going to share with you this morning, and, and then we'll, we'll pause, and next week we'll look at number three and number four, is the sign of joy. In John's Gospel, at the Last Supper, just hours before Jesus was crucified, he said this to his disciples. Verily, verily, I say to you that you shall weep and lament, and the world is going to rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And you now, therefore, have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man will be able to take from you. So what Jesus was saying is you're about to go into a deep depression. What was he talking about? Well, within hours, they would scatter. They went into a deep depression because their, their Lord and Savior, the one that they had trusted was the Messiah, who they knew was the Messiah, was unbelievably taken, arrested, ran through this trial and then crucified and actually died and was buried. And so their whole world came crashing down and exactly what Jesus said happened. They were filled with sorrow, deep sorrow. But he said, I 
this is temporary, I will see you again. And when I do, your heart will rejoice. And that joy, no one will be able to take from you. Well, when did he see them again? Days later on the day of Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy Ghost fell, they didn't see Jesus with their eyes. They saw him with their being. They drank in his spirit. The Holy Spirit that had taught them and preached and performed miracles and loved them and shepherded them for three and a half years now filled them. They were ecstatic. They were overflowing with joy. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you're going to be sorrowful, but you will see me again. And when you do, you will leap with joy. Your heart will be glad. And within minutes of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter jumps up, he's excited, he shares the gospel. They went from that place, and the Bible says every day they were meeting in somebody's house, fellowshipping and sharing the Lord's Supper and, and sharing the word and preaching the gospel to people, not just on Wednesdays and Sundays. The Bible says they did it every day. This was a happy people. This was a people that had joy. You don't, you don't go to church seven days a week. You don't have church seven days a week unless you are the church. They gathered seven days a week because they were the church. They were not only on fire with the Holy Ghost, they were full of joy. They couldn't turn that joy off if they, if they tried to. That is one of the reasons why it's hard to win people to Jesus with one day a week Christians that only have joy one day a week. You're listening to me. And the rest of the time, they have to look at your withered up face and listen to you sound just like their unsaved relatives. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice. So the joy of the Lord arrived with the Holy Ghost on the day of, they were packed together. So when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they also received the sign of joy. It was the sign. The sign of joy is the sign that Jesus had conquered death and returned to us. The joy of the Lord, think about it. It's the sign that Jesus returned to you. We say we're waiting for the return of Jesus. Well, we're not, we're not waiting for his return from being crucified, that return already happened. That's why you're saved. It's because he returned, he lives in your heart. The return of the Lord that people talk about is his physical return when he takes possession of the earth and the kingdoms of it and transforms the age. But that return of Jesus has already happened. That's why people are born again. They're saved by the return of Jesus. And what is joy? Joy is the sign the one that conquered death has arrived. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. Praise the Lord. So it was the sign that Jesus had conquered death. Remember, he said, I'm going to go because they're going to kill me. And you're going to see me again, and you're going to rejoice. Why? Because I'm not dead. Well, what does that mean? Death has been conquered. Jesus has conquered death and he lives in me. So the, the victory over death, hell, and the grave lives in me. 
There's your joy. Can you say praise the Lord? And then he also said, and this joy, no man will take it from you. So because this joy comes from heaven, it has the capacity to keep you beyond the reach of a world that would take it from you if it could. The joy will put you out of the reach of the world. The joy lifts you up to the place of its origin, heaven. Now listen, the sign of joy is eminently contrasted against the momentary happiness of the world. The happiness of the world is a temporary hoax, folks. Because it makes you think that the happenings that created it are going to stay that way. And they never do. Think about everything in life that makes you happy. And not one of those things ever stays the way that it showed up in your life when it first made you happy. The world does not stay the same. And nothing that generates happiness in this world does. Happiness is a product of happenings. And guess what? You know what they say about happenings? And it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. But the joy that is the sign of joy has nothing to do with happiness. It's not based on happenings. The, the joy that is the sign of joy, the conditions that created that joy are eternal and they never change. So happiness comes from happenings, but the joy of the Lord comes from the changeless condition of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his triumph over death. And you know what? It comes from the uh, eternal, never-ending love of the Father that radiates out to you. And you know it. You and I know it. Everyone who's truly saved knows, has tasted of that joy. That joy that no matter what happens, I know the Father loves me. And I am drinking of that love. In fact, Romans 5.5 5 says the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. So the joy of the Lord is the second sign of the New Testament church. So let me just share with you a couple fast qualities about the joy of the Lord and then we're going to pray in response to this message. The sign of joy connects and fills you with the Holy Spirit. If some of you have been trying to find your way back to that early Pentecostal experience, that early charismatic experience, that early filling of the Holy Spirit that you've experienced, but you just haven't been able to get back to that place. Joy is the tool. Joy is the sign that God's given you to get back to it. That's why the Holy Spirit came with its partner, joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's a supernatural strength. It's a Holy Ghost-empowered strength. The sign of joy connects you and fills you with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this verse out of the 13th chapter of Acts. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. It comes right out and says, baptism in the Holy Spirit and joy are coupled together. They're synergistic. They work together. That's why I'm always pushing the congregation to praise the Lord. 
And I know that what I'm up against is people that are struggling with happiness. They're not on the same wavelength. When I say, come on, let's praise the Lord, the congregation's often thinking, well, what, what have I got to be happy about? Why, you know, I'd praise God if I was happy. If I had something to praise, see, you, you've already given up joy for happiness. When we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, joy showed up. People say the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. I really think, and we'll get to speaking in other tongues um, one of these weeks down the road, but um, I really think that that gift, that sign of speaking in other tongues, is not a manifestation of the arrival or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a manifestation of the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. When you get so filled, you can't keep it in, tongues comes out. Pops right out, just happens. Glory to God. It's overflow. Sign of overflow. But I'll tell you what is a sign of the of the arrival of the baptism of the Spirit? Joy. Because it immediately a, a lot makes your, your spirit, soul, and body alive with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So if you want to get back to that Holy Ghost experience, use the joy. Use the tool God's given you. Um, and the reason I say that is because the sign of joy is a renewable energy source. In an age when everybody's talking about depleting resources of energy, and how silly is that? But the reality is, is that we do have a renewable energy source. It's called the sign of joy. And Psalm 70 verse 4, listen very carefully to how this is phrased. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. What's rejoicing? It's re-joy. Do you want to be glad? Well, yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm a, I, you know, when you said, come on, let's praise God, I'd do it if I were glad. I'm not very glad. So if I could get glad... I would praise the Lord with you. And then the anointing of the Holy Spirit would come. Well, I know exactly what you, I know how you can get glad real fast. You can do it in 30 seconds. Rejoice. You see, rejoicing is acting on joy. Not waiting till you feel glad. It's acting on joy. It is using the joy. It's stirring up the joy. Paul said to Timothy about the signs of the church. He said, Timothy, stir up. The gift that is in you, stir it up. You see, some of the signs of the church are initiated from heaven. But since heaven has been planted in us, and Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Since the kingdom of heaven has been planted in us, some of the signs of the church are initiated from within, from us. Some of them we initiate, some of them God initiates, but none of them operate without both of us working together. Us and God, can you say amen? amen? And so joy is a renewable energy source. Rejoice, and guess what? You'll be glad, and then you'll have a little stamina that you can praise the Lord with. And you know what? Rejoice, and when the New Testament Christian has that river of living water on the inside, when you rejoice, what happens? You get filled fresh. 
fresh filling of the Holy Ghost. Every time, every time I go through my house, because I'm alone and I'm the only one there, <clears throat> and people won't think I'm out of my mind, and I just have my little praise service all by myself, just me and Jesus, I always get filled. I mean, just full of the Holy Ghost, full of joy, and it's bubbling out. It's just overflowing. And guess what? You decide when that happens. You decide when that happens. That's joy. That's the sign of joy. It is a contagious sign. And uh, that's the last thing I want to share about joy this morning. It's contagious. People can catch it from you. In Acts 8 and 8, when the scripture says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached the gospel to them and signs and wonders began to happen, the scripture says in verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. It doesn't say Philip had great joy. We know he had great joy. But the Bible says the whole city broke out in joy. It's contagious. They received the word of God, and the Holy Ghost fell. Even the sorcerer, the town sorcerer, wanted to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so the scripture says the whole city broke out in joy. Joy is contagious. You show me a congregation of people that'll stay stirred up in the joy of the Lord, the sign of joy, I'll show you a congregation that will start turning the city loose and start bringing others into that joy. You see, you can't talk people into Jesus. I was a hardcore atheist before I came to Jesus Christ. There was nothing anyone could say to me. There was no little secret tidbit of knowledge, no wisdom. You couldn't tell me something or read me a verse, and I'd go, oh, well, I've been wrong all along. It was when... That joy showed up. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So the sign of joy is transcendent. And then I said this was the last thing, but this is really good. i got to tell you this. Towards the end of the book of Acts, joy is still operating. The Holy Ghost is still operating. Listen to this. Paul is writing after years of preaching the gospel and persecution and troubles and difficulties, but great victories that have taken place, and the Lord has blessed him in his labors. He looks back, and he's talking about all the hardships and all the persecution, and listen to this comment that he makes. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life as dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. As wonderful as the gospel is, as important as it is that we realize that we're commissioned to share our witness and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the authenticity of the gospel, the beauty, the majesty of the gospel alone by itself is not enough impetus for you and I to go out and face humiliation or rejection or even persecution and share that gospel. It takes something called joy. He said, who for the joy, the joy, I will finish my course 
with joy. Paul kept himself in the joy of the Lord because he knew it was the door. The sign of joy was the door to the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Satan attacks that issue of happiness. That's why he's constantly trying to push you in your life through everything that happens, whether physical ailments, financial difficulties, strife in family, problems emotionally and mentally, whatever it is we go through, everything comes down to the devil trying to get you mixed up in the subject, tangled in the web of happiness. Am I happy? Am I not happy? As long as you're operating in that arena, you have no hope of really experiencing the victory of the Lord. You need to look up and rejoice. You need to realize that joy is something God has imparted to you. and Stir it up. That's called rejoicing. And begin to rejoice in the Lord because joy is transcendent. Paul said, with joy, I will finish my course. I will complete my ministry. In fact, when Jesus went to the cross, it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand. Joy got Jesus through. Joy got Paul through. And the sign of joy is what will get you and I through. Rejoice. Forget about the happiness. It will follow. Put joy first. It is a sign that we are born from above. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning.